I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. It's really heartbreaking when you think that 16,000 children die every day from hunger and water-related causes. But it doesn't have to be that way. With your help, we can truly save lives and we can restore hope. One child, one mother, one farmer at a time. We've seen hope restored for thousands and thousands of children, just like Sherry, who now can wake up every morning knowing she has access to nutritious food and clean drinking water. And we've seen hope restored for thousands of mothers like Maritza, who is now off the streets and she's running her own business and feeding her own kids. And we've seen thousands of farmers who've seen the yields of their crops, the flocks, their herds all increase significantly. And now they're growing enough food to earn a living and to care for their own families. It's so easy though to look at the magnitude of the need and to tell ourselves that the problem is just too great. It's not. It's not. Together, we can change lives and give families a future. And by participating in One Day to Feed the World, you're doing just that. You're saying that you want to save lives and you want to invite God's blessing on your life too. And so today, on behalf of all the children, the mothers, the farmers, and all the families whose lives will be changed forever, thank you for caring and thank you for giving. God bless you. Your one day of kindness transforms their everyday. That is right. Your one day will change forever the life of their, um, well, their everyday what they deal with every day. Uh, last August, Carrie and I were invited to attend a conference up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which was dealing with the, the um, extreme issue of um, uh, poverty and uh, uh, crisis that's happening around the world. And um, we have, as a church, responded in the past. Whenever there's been a crisis, we've taken up offerings and have given so generously, so sacrificially, for the cause of helping people who have been hit in the crisis. And, uh, uh, you know, whether it's been a hurricane or a, a tsunami or, or a man-made disaster of some sort, we've stepped up the plate and helped out. But I was just deeply moved last August as I heard again about the, the plight of the world, what's happening, what he just said, Hal Donaldson, who's the director of Convoy of Hope, what he said uh, just a few moments ago, that 16,000 people, children, die every single day, not year, not month, every day, because they don't have enough, eat, enough to eat and because they, they don't have clean water to drink. And that is something that we can do something about. And uh, so as, as a church, I felt impressed by the Lord that we should uh, direct ourselves towards giving a, a great offering to helping Convoy of Hope, which is the compassion outreach arm of the Assemblies of God, 
in, in getting into these areas and helping these people. You're going to hear a report in just a few moments about the tens of thousands of people, of children and of adults who are fed every single day because of Convoy of Hope. And the transformation that's taking place as they're also being taught vital tools and, and education and how to provide for their family. Things are definitely being changed. There's a huge need, but God expects us to do what we can do. And so I felt that a great time for us to do this would be on Mother's Day, which might seem like an odd day to do it. But I felt like if we could take that specific time and, and take up a special offering. There'll be, there'll be other great things that will be happening next week on Mother's Day. We're going to be dedicating many children to the Lord that day. And we're going to be hearing from the Word of God. We'll be worshiping God. But we're going to be taking an offering uh, that will not stay here locally. Every single penny of it will go towards uh, helping people that are in crisis around the world. And so I invited the uh, director of church relations as, uh, and Convoy of Hope to come and to share in our pulpit. He's a, a friend that we have known for a long time. He was actually in high school when I was in college, and he'd come over and bum around with the rest of us, and we would, we'd play some pickup games of basketball together, and, and he and I actually worked together on maintenance crew and so forth. But uh, I got to know Jeff in a very special way. Uh, both of us were young people at that time. His wife is also a very good close associate with, uh, with me especially because she and I grew up in the same home church. And so we've known each other nearly all of our lives, although she's quite a bit younger than I am. Uh, nonetheless, we, we grew up and, and my dad worked for her father and so forth in employment, so I have rich history with her family. So it's just a joy for me to welcome Jeff and Kathy Swaim to uh, Salt Lake City. Would you give Jeff a very warm welcome as he comes to share with us about Compassion Ministries. Good morning. It's great to be with you. And I love your pastor and his wife. Right? Aren't they wonderful? Wonderful. Uh, in high school, I was a gym rat. I'd hang around the gymnasium of the college, and I'd play basketball all the time. And I remember... Your pastor had a nice little jump shot. I remember that. He overdribbled, but that's okay. <clears throat> I didn't know any better. But let me tell you, he was kind to me back in those days. And, and I've learned through the last decades that people will never remember, never remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. Your pastor made me feel significant. Okay, he was nice to me. Any, even when he didn't have to be nice to me. I mean, he just—it was nice to me. And he was a nice guy in college, and uh, even before he got into ministry. And I know that he makes you feel significant as well. And it's—it's it's guys like your pastor that loved me to go to the Bible school. Basically, I wouldn't have gone there had people not been nice to me. Well, your pastor was one of those guys I will always remember, and he paved the way. He's like a big brother to me back then. He doesn't know that. but In fact, you were the best kindergarten teacher I ever had, so no. <laughs> no, no. He and his wife are special people. In fact, um, Kathy's sisters actually grew up with Pastor Jim and, and went to school 
with Pastor Jim and Carrie in 1970 to 74. Kathy and I arrived at, uh, at CBC in 1974, and it, it was love at first fright, I think, is when she saw me. But anyway, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for participating in offerings. When given the opportunity to help people who are hurting, basically, and you have given money not to Convoy, but through Convoy to meet needs. And just as a matter of fact, we've spent your money before you give it. We do a lot of things by faith because we know that God calls hearts to participate with us. And that's the, the journey of faith that Convoy of Hope has been on. Convoy of Hope initially didn't just start feeding the poor. The intent was to turn the heart of the church toward the poor, to mobilize the church. And we're seeing that prayer come about. Thousands and thousands of churches participate with Convoy every single year, either by giving or having an event in their city or going overseas or participating in something that we do. And we ask every church to uh, remember us in prayer as much as possible. If you have a prayer life, put Convoy of Hope and our team and our work on your prayer list. I can't stress that enough because there are times we really tick off the devil and he just gets irritated by what we are doing. And uh, I kind of like that. <laughs> so Convoy of Hope, we are 23 years old. We've ministered in 115 countries. We've ministered to over 80 million people. I don't know the number today, but we've done over 1,000 community events where people come and receive groceries, free haircuts, and community services and government services. There's a place for kids to have fun. In fact, one lady went to an outreach in uh, Maryland, and she and her husband had lost their jobs, and she, uh, they went to this outreach. They were getting ready to be evicted from their home, and they had some kids in their family who brought home this flyer. Free groceries. So they said, we're going. <laughs> so the kids had fun in the kids' area, but there were some people set up to to type out some resumes. This lady had all kinds of skills and no resume. So they filled out this resume, and she went around another corner, and she had this typed out resume, and there were all kinds of companies hiring and interviewing people. She got a job that day. Yeah. You talk about a tipping point for a family, giving them some hope. But she went around another corner, and there were some nail technicians. I don't get it, but anyway, uh, there was a conversation that what took place that day because she just started pouring her heart out to this person doing her nails. And then she went around another corner and had her teeth looked at because there were dentists there. Then she had to have a physical for her new job. There were some doctors there to give her a physical just by chance. Huh? Yeah, right. And, uh, and then there were all these community services that were available, government services available to her family that she had no idea. Then she, the dress barn had donated 3,000 dresses. She picked out four new outfits. Yeah, for work. She was good to go. Then there were some uh, licensed hairstylists, key on license. And uh, she got a new do. And then she went around another corner, got several bags of groceries. She went around another corner, and there were these circles of chairs. And she sat there with her husband. Is there anything we can pray with you about? She turned that corner, 
and she met Jesus for the first time in her life. Yeah. That, that makes what I do a lot of fun, to be real honest, because the very next year, we had an outreach at the very same spot, and she was a volunteer, she and her husband, because they were part of a local church. Let me tell you, when we become Jesus with skin on, and we look eyeball to eyeball with somebody, and we show any bit of concern, we've thrown them a lifeline, really. When we give significance to people and acts of kindness, in fact, Hal Donaldson just re, uh, released a book called Your Next 24 Hours. It's a book on kindness, and uh, tell you what, we're starting a movement of kindness with that book just making people aware of simple things they could do to turn the page in somebody's life. Like that lady, she had the page turn, a tipping point for her life. Their lives are different now because they have a job, her husband found a job, and I'm telling you, it's really cool. So we do community events. We've done over 1,000 of those. We had one yesterday, I don't recall where it was, but there were 2,400 people that showed up and dozens of people came to know Jesus as their Savior. There were 30 churches involved from multi-denominations. It wasn't a Baptist thing. It wasn't a Nazarene thing. It wasn't an Assemblies of God thing. It was a Kingdom of God thing. Pretty awesome. So you pray for us on that. And we also respond to disasters. You guys have given to offerings there. We are responding to the biggest humanitarian crisis in a long while since the 30s. We've not seen this big of a human crisis, and that is a Syrian refugee crisis in Europe. People coming out by the millions. Convoy of Hope is there. We're distributing need, uh, supplies, food, water, tents, cooking utensils, anything that people tend to need, we're uh, uh, getting those supplies over there. But we're doing one other thing. We're planting some churches among them. And here's the thing. We all think that they're a certain religion of the world, but a lot of those folks are Christians. And they've been driven out of their country, and here they are coming to Europe, and we're giving them a place of worship, but also we're equipping them to help their neighbors who are not Christians. And it's a journey of faith through compassion that the door has been opened to their hearts. Somebody cares for me and my family. Somebody actually cares. Let me tell you, when you give a demonstration of God's love, people are open to the presentation of God's love. When we become Jesus with skin on, like I already said, it absolutely floods the heart of another person. When you give significance to people, it's, it's powerful. In fact, in our youth ministry in Oregon, we had a motto, catch kids doing things right. It's the lost art of encouragement. And I'm telling you, when somebody believes in you, anything can happen. You can do anything when somebody believes in you. And I really encourage you to catch people doing things right, especially teenagers. Because seemingly they, they just think, I can't do anything right. <laughs> and somebody comes along and says, boy, way to go. Good job. And sometimes that's a real effort to to catch them doing things right. But I'm telling you, it'll go a long way. It'll go a long way. And then we also started doing something significant 
beyond the disasters. We were actively involved in about five disasters this week, Peru, the Philippines, Missouri floods, and we have an ongoing presence in Haiti. But about eight or nine years ago, we started realizing we aren't doing anything on an ongoing sustainable process to help people uh, break the chain of poverty in their home. Today our motto is, we're feeding these kids, but we probably won't be feeding their grandkids. Here's why. We found that kids in these impoverished neighborhoods were skipping school so they could panhandle, work, do whatever to earn money to eat that day. They weren't thinking about their future. They were thinking about survival today. And so we, just, we said, we can fix that because we have so many partners that donate supplies to us that I think they would be absolutely thrilled to help change these countries through their students, their children. And so last year, because of our efforts over the last nine years, we had over $100 million worth of supplies and food donated to Convoy of Hope. Free, okay, free, all right? That's called gift in kind, and that's, that's putting a value on something that is like wholesale value, but it's given to you. That's pretty awesome. Your one day to feed the world money employs the guys to go ask those companies to give it to us, and then it, and it pays for the trucks that speed the light bot <laughs> to go get the free stuff, bring it back to our warehouse, and match it with other things that are needed and get it to multiple places around the world, times of disasters and our feeding initiative. So we started feeding these kids. We started out with 5,500 kids in, um, in three countries, Haiti, El Salvador, and Kenya. And Kenya was at the edge of the Mithari Valley, which is the second largest slum in the world. Refugees from, uh, from Somalia and uh, Uganda and the Sudan. Sudan. And they are there just outside of Nairobi, and it is, it is a very desperate place. Well, we started feeding kids in these schools over there in group homes. We started feeding kids in church schools in Haiti, and same thing in El Salvador. And now we have expanded to 11 countries and over 1,000 feeding centers or program centers. We are currently feeding 162,000 children every single day because of one day to feed the world. Yeah. And what we don't do is just pass out the food. No, these kids, it's an incentive to show up for school. I get to eat. You, know, you ask any kid in El Salvador, what, you, do you like coming to school? Yes, I get to eat. <laughs> They'll tell you that. And it becomes an incentive, so they're learning how to read, how to do math, you know, and, and science and all kinds of things. We even teach them hygiene. What's really beautiful for you as a believer is they are being taught every single day in most of our program centers, all better, but maybe one or two percent of them around the world. They're being taught scripture and how to walk with Jesus in their life. That's really thrilling to me. And so these kids are learning these things and we're teaching their mothers and their fathers how to be uh, farmers, how to use their land. We have uh, on our team uh, coming up on six years, uh, a guy by the name of Jason Struble, and he was a pastor in Washington State, and I did this lunch and golf thing, and he sh showed up, and he, he said, do you think Convoy would ever use me? I went back to college, and I'm getting a Ph.D. in soil science. 
basically in manure. So anyway, <laughs> he joined our team, and uh, we call him Dr. Dirt. And Dr. Dirt is doing an astonishing thing of training farmers how to use their soil in a proper way. Really exciting. Another exciting thing, we started in a very sensitive country among women, single-parent mothers. On average, they had two, three kids and made, on average, $15 a month. You talk about poverty. These women in this particular culture are treated like less than dogs, less than animals, because they're single and unwed. And they cannot exist, actually. And these are where the death toll rises, these neighborhoods. It's a very sensitive place. I can't even tell you about publicly because of our work there and our workers. They would put them in danger. But I'm telling you, these women, they started this jobs training program. It's not women's empowerment, Norma Ray. Yeah, it's not that, okay? It's jobs training. And they learn different trades in a matter of 12 months. They learn how to be an employer. And they learn a trade that's not matched up with anybody else, so it could not be a compete thing or saturation of a market, but they learned how to save their, their money. We even got a stay on their taxes. They didn't have to pay taxes for a couple years, that they could begin to save up and get the momentum for their business. And many of these women have gone from $15 a month to some over $300 a month. They're middle income. <laughs> and these women, it's really astonishing. They uh, employ other women. And here's what's really remarkable. They pay their employees the same as they make. And th th that just tells me something about people who live in, in intense poverty. It, it, it's amazing. Those who have the least share the most. Like when you go to one of our feeding programs at a school, you'll see a kid with this great big plate heaped up with rice and beans and I'm thinking, I, there's no way I can eat that. How's that little seven-year-old going to eat that? And you look back at their table, and these kids are taking handfuls of food and putting it in backpacks or pockets. They're taking food home to a sibling or maybe even their mother. Those who have the least share the most. Pretty cool. Next week, you're going to have an opportunity to uh, share from you. You, some of you have given in this offering before, and you gave out of your own need, right? And uh, I just encourage you to give something. Now, Mother's Day is a good time to reflect on this. It's thanks, Mom, for taking care of me. But in this offering, you're going to help kids who do not have mothers, and you're going to help mothers who can't afford to feed their kids. Here in America, we... Mothers are thinking, uh, what should I feed my kids? Where we work, mothers are thinking, which one of my kids can I feed today? And that's the bottom line of this offering. Just say no to zero. Do something. Some of you can give a day's pay. Go to work this week, wear a little sticker. I gave one day. Write it out on a greeting sticker or whatever. Hello, my name is, and just write it. I gave one day. It becomes a conversation piece, but it also allows you to pick the day. This one's for other people. This one's not for me, my bills, my toys, my entertainment. This is beyond me. My job is not just for me. 
I'm a partner with Jesus with my job. I'm a partner with him. This offering is not your tithe. Otherwise, the church board would have just written a check out of general fund. This is an opportunity for you to say, God, thank you for my resources. I am grateful, but I am also going to be responsible and help someone who has a lot less than I have. I'm going to give through Convoy. They do the Bible stuff. They help widows, orphans, you know, the poor, the hungry, the suffering, the disenfranchised. And what we want to do is we want to connect the church to its community anywhere there's a need where we can get to and respond. And you can help us do that. And I really appreciate the fact that uh, a lot of people, they're not always there for offering day, but they make a beeline the next time they're in town to give to that one day to feed the world offering. And you might wear that sticker to work and you might create a buzz. You might even have an opportunity to share your faith with someone. You never know. You might even have an opportunity to bring somebody to church on Mother's Day. I mean, everybody goes to church on Mother's Day, right? It's Father's Day they skip, right? No. <laughs> so I just encourage you to do that. This morning, I would like to mess up your life with a verse out of Luke 14. It's on the screen here. The verse before this verse talks about Jesus was being followed by large, a large crowd. Why was he being followed by a large crowd? Because he spoke with authority and he also had compassion on people. He was moved by compassion and people were moved. Uh, he was moved with compassion and they were moved by his compassion. He was healing them, he was teaching them. He was so full of love. It was remarkable. Then he does this verse. And a lot of times, let's, let's admit it, you might have read this verse, and it's such a shock and awe verse or full of horseradish, Jesus didn't say that. <laughs> or we might just blast on through this without getting the true meaning of this verse. Jesus is talking about a supreme love for Jesus. I want us to read this verse, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit, and it's going to be so practical for you that, like, this makes sense. This is one of the more foundational verses in the life of a Christian, that the Christian life is more than forgiveness. Okay? Let's read it together. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we might be thinking this morning, okay, hate those people. In other words, I got to be around, be a grouch around the house. No problem. We got it going on at our house. Discipleship, you bet. Now, Jesus knew they loved each other. Their mom and dad, brothers and sisters, wife, kids knew that. And he, they knew he knew that. He was drawing a comparison. He was saying, I know how much you love your family, but your love for those you love the most is going to be like hate in comparison to your love for me if you're going to make a difference. And I shared this with our youth worker staff in Oregon. And there was one youth worker who had been married before, her husband had been married before, they both had kids, and they were trying to do this blended family thing. 
She didn't know if she had enough love to go around. She was tapped out in the love category. She said, no way does God want us to love him more than our family. I said, yes way. In fact, if you love God more than your family, your family will receive more love from you. And she said, right. <laughs> so I, I kind of did my natural pose thing. I was holding a cup of coffee, and I said, you know how much I like coffee. Yeah, you're an addict. And I gave her that one. And uh, let's say I filled it all the way to the top. Well, let's say I wouldn't use a dirty cup, right? I'd clean out the cup. Yeah, you'd wash out the cup. Let's say I wash out that cup, and I'm holding a cup of coffee all the way to the top, and somebody comes along and bumps my arm. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to spill coffee all of yourself. Exactly. Let's just pretend that this coffee cup is your heart, your mind, and anybody's heart and mind, for that matter. God is not going to fill his presence into a dirty cup, right? Same thing. But if we confess our sins, the things we've messed up on, we confess our scum, he will forgive us, wash us, cleanse us from all unrighteous scum. When the scum is gone, Jesus moves in. And we invite him through surrender to be the leader of our life. You be first, Lord. He comes in, he moves in, and guess what? He fills us with his presence, his peace, and what's, what's in cool that everybody else feels, his love. And God is overflowing in our lives. And so when we are full of God's love and we get into a consternation with somebody around our house, that means a fight. We spill God's love, right? Because we're full of God's love. I don't know about you, but sometimes I drink from the cup, the real coffee, right? And some get spilled. That's why it's important that we get refilled. I know in Utah, it gets pretty hot in the summer, right? And you're thinking, it's a dry heat. Well, so is an oven. Stick your head in it, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. When, when you're thirsty and you get a great glass of water, ice cold water, it tastes really good. And when you're really thirsty, can I have some more? You want some more? You, hey, I'm thirsty. The Bible says, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Here's the point. When you get a, a, a real taste of Jesus, you want some more, right? When you've had a taste of Jesus and he becomes authentic to you, and it's, it's awesome, you want some more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and and the Bible says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. That's God talking through his scripture. If you draw close to God, he's going to draw close to you. Well, here's what's really awesome. This verse is talking about that in essence, that we would have a supreme love for Jesus. And what that means, that we would have an intimacy with him, a driving passion within our heart that we are hungry for more of God and thirsty for more of God. That, that what's going to happen is that he's going to capture our affections. He's going to capture what we desire in life. That which we're devoted to. That which we defend. 
those hard times about forgiving others over the bad times in life, he captures those things, that we will not be shackled to the past with unforgiveness. And he captures the things, our dreams, our aspirations, even our entertainment changes because of our love for God. That we will find out what pleases God, and we're going to pursue that. That we find out the do's in the Bible, okay? And not concentrate so much on the don'ts that freak us out so much. I'm telling you, when you bring pleasure to God, it's going to be pretty awesome as you grow in intimacy of God. And let me tell you, when you capture the heart of God and you, you're pursuing Him, you're going to begin to look at people differently. The more passion we have for God, the more compassion we will have for other people. Because we will look through the eyes of Jesus at people, which are blurred with tears of compassion because he views people at their point of need. Instead of being judgmental with our humanity, with our small perspective of people in the kingdom and universe, instead of saying, well, at somebody in need, well, there's a problem to be solved. We look through the eyes of Jesus and say, there's a person to be served. I need to serve that person. There's a need to be met there. I'm telling you, compassion is not sympathy, merely feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion is not empathy, merely understanding someone's plight in life. Compassion is action. Jesus was moved with compassion, and he did something about it. it. The word passion means suffering. We just went through the Passion Week. Compassion means to come alongside someone suffering. And there is no way that you and I could ever understand the biblical meaning of compassion unless we develop a life of prayer really an intimacy with Jesus to begin to fully understand and respond with the love of God this compassion this driving passion gets internalized and it changes our lives our perspective on who we are life is not about us it's about God and the more Christ-centered we become Get this, the more Christ-centered we become, the more Jesus is the supreme love of our life, the more others-centered we'll become. Okay? We won't be selfish. We will see ourselves not as an object of God's love or God's blessing, but we will soon see ourselves as an instrument of God's blessing. That God moves in us and through us. Kathy and I, we've been married, this August will be 40 years. I know, I'm so grateful. <clears throat> I'm so grateful for where we got married, that state, they allowed elementary kids to get married. Because she sure doesn't look like she's been a bride for 40 years. And she's proof I was skinny at one time. But anyway... And um, we've never had a fight in our marriage. And you, 
you're looking at me, liar, liar, pants on fire, run for president, right? Okay. Sure, the neighbors have heard us talk. <laughs> I have never yelled at her, other than, huh? <laughs> I'm losing my hearing. And her voice is getting softer. Won't that be fun <laughs> in a few years? Huh? Hi, Seth. Uh, we have two daughters. They're expensive. <laughs> and uh, they're so old, I lie about their age. And uh, I always told them I loved them when they were growing up. We'd be driving down the road. Guess what? What? I love you. <laughs> See, I think it's the dad who sets the tone of love in the home, not mom. It's the dad. That's why Paul said, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Not that he had some timers. He was trying to get it across. Guys, you set the level and the tone of love. I promise you, it'll be more fun. <laughs> so we drive a little bit further down the road. Guess what? You love us. Guess what? You love our mom. I always wanted to reinforce that with them. Uh, big deal. I, I always had this thought when they were growing up, a theory, that grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. <laughs> Just a theory. We have three grandkids. I was right. <laughs> They're a rush. And I tell you, our two daughters are on the way to Mexico now. One daughter won a trip. And they're going on vacation together. Nobody else. You have no idea how much it blesses me that they like each other. And Kathy and I, I told them, said, you know what? You guys really, really make me love your mom more when you love each other. So don't screw up. <laughs> And uh, one day, Lindsay said, I'm going to have a baby. And Kathy says, well, I'm going to go buy some diapers. And I said, you're not that old yet. But uh, <laughs> I did. I did say that. <laughs> I, I just go right to the weird stuff. But <laughs> we had simple rules at our house when the kids were growing up. Do what I say! <laughs> no, I never yelled at them. I, I let them know that dad loved them. They had simple rules. One of the rules was they couldn't ride with somebody who had their license less than six months. Well, Stephanie's regular ride from school had to stay late, and the neighbor girl down the road who had her license about two and a half months, can I catch a ride with you? The girl said, sure. And Stephanie, seeing this girl who's just a few months older than her driving, thought she was big stuff. And she asked Jessica, can I drive? And Jessica said, sure. <laughs> and Stephanie had never even driven a lawnmower. <laughs> and in the excitement, she forgets to buckle up. She's always safety conscious. It's a turn down our street. It's a good idea to slow down. But having never driven before, the gas pedal meant brake, too. 
So she plows into this telephone pole with Jessica's car, and in the fact that she didn't buckle up, she sails over the steering wheel and shatters. Shatters. I mean, little tiny pieces, but held together, the front windshield, and there's a bubble where her head hit. It, it kills people, that kind of stuff, that kind of impact. And she started to bleed and all that, and her friends in the car, Stephanie, what'd you do? Oh, Stephanie! They freak out, and so she started to. And then our brother-in-law, Ben, he was visiting from New England, and he sees all this going down, and he goes down to the scene and says, Miss, Miss, we need to, we need to call your, your parents. What's your name? Uncle Ben, it's me. So they take Stephanie into the neighbor's kitchen, and their EMTs come, fire trucks, police, neighbors. I'm coming home early to golf with Uncle Ben, early from work. And I get waved down, like I can go through this street because of all the traffic. And people start staring at me. And here comes Kathy walking around, the, walking out of the house across the lawn. And I said, what idiot drove the car up there? And she said, Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie's in the kitchen getting attended to. My dad's here? He's going to kill me. So I walk in. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm so sorry, as if I'm going to kill her. And I'm thinking, too many witnesses. <laughs> so I take her to the hospital. Took a lot of years off. I'm 22, Kathy's 30. And... Uh, well, maybe not. Um, I took her in there, and I said, Stephanie, I love you. I love you too, Daddy. Daddy. Nah, I don't think you get it, Steph. If I could trade places with you right now, I would. I love you that much. You would? Yeah, I would. And I want you to know this, Steph. The rules are there to protect you, not to, you know, mess up your life. Yet I'm thinking right now that would be a perk. But Stephanie, you've got to know this. I love you so much, I would die for you. You would. Mom and Dad, you love your kids like that, right? Nod your head, they're watching. <laughs> that same passion, intense, absolute love where you're giving up your life for those you love. The verse. That passion, that intensity, intimacy is like hate compared to your love for God. I don't think until we're in the place where we'd be, we would be willing to give up our lives, are we in the place where God wants us? Now, I love Jesus with all my heart. Kathy knows that. And my kids know that. And they know I'm madly in love with them. That's the thing. They know I love them. I'm crazy about them. I embarrass them with my love. Okay? The kids say, get a room, a lot. So anyway, <laughs> but I love my family. But I love Jesus more. Kathy's okay with that deal. Because she gets a better husband out of that deal. 
in my humanity, I don't know how to love the way she needs or deserves. But God moving in me and through me, I'm able to love that lady to where we don't have fights. Why would I want to hurt my best buddy? All right. Since our freshman year in, high, in college, we call each other buddy. That's our nickname. People get kind of taken back when they're around me the first time talking to her on the phone. Hey, buddy, Who, who's that? Your cousin? <laughs> and I, That's my wife. Here's the thing. My kids know that I love Jesus more than I love them. They're okay because they get a better dad out of that deal. But the greatest day in my life will be when my kids say, Dad, I love you, but I love Jesus more. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Because they won't do things or not do things because I say so, because I'm around but they will do things or not do things because they love Jesus. To me, that's holiness, okay? That's, that's what it means to be holy. I will find out what pleases God and do it with all my might. I will pursue him because he's the greatest love I've ever found. He gives me identity. In fact, in the last part of this, yes, even his own life. We love Jesus more than our own life. And some of us today might be thinking, no problem. I don't even like me. <laughs> and some of us were told that a long time ago. We're less than significant. I'm telling you, God Almighty lives in you. He's taken up residence in you. His presence is there. Here's what's unique. In the 1800s, some guy came up with this line. Sin will keep you from the presence of God, but the presence of God will keep you from sin. To me, that's a rush, that I can have a relationship and intimacy with God Almighty through the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is in my life. And he reigns in your life today. I think we can be instruments of God's love. That he fills us every single day with his love. And we grow thirsty and hungry for him each and every day. Not only that, it's kind of hard to have a bad day when you're grateful. God bless you. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.